Hello and welcome to In Stitches, the upholstery podcast telling your story and inspiring others. It's my pleasure to welcome today Dilith Heatherstone-Dilk, did I get that right, to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, well, thank you for asking me. Okay, so to kick off, did you know when you left school that you would like to work in upholstery? And if not, what did you want to do? Oh, crikey, couldn't be more different. So I was 16 when my grandfather, who I was really close to, died, and he was a judge. And so I just decided, completely randomly, age 16, that's it, I have to be a lawyer. There was no other decision making. And so that's what I went and did. And yeah, I was a lawyer for Warner Brothers for about 15 years. Yeah, film lawyer. There you go, slightly different background. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, what path has has your career taken you on so far and, and what yeah. on that path? So how, how did you sort of... Okay, well, so I was that morning and I had a six-year-old and a four-year-old child at that point and I didn't even know how to cook fish fingers. Literally, I burnt them. I just didn't feel I was doing the mother thing very well at all. I was yeah. abroad one week a month and it was too much. So I stopped completely. And a couple of years later, I thought, I know, I'll decorate the house. And then I realised how much everything cost. And I thought, oh, no, I won't decorate the house. <laughs> and I went to um, J.A. Milton in... Um, oh, OK. Yeah, I went for a three-day course because I realised that in three days, I'd learn how to be an upholsterer. Oh. <laughs> yeah. As three you times. do. Brilliant. Three days. So three days later, I was a little bit more humble and completely addicted. So I upholstered another chair at home. I mean, so badly. It's I look at it and just think, oh, my goodness, leather pipe cut on the square, no skiving, great big bumps along it, dreadful. And I asked the teacher at J.A. Milton and he was a lovely man. And he said, oh, you've got to go to the London Mets, the only place. So I went there. Did my three years, mostly with Franco Marinelli, who I absolutely yeah. loved. Gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous guy. And I started working straight away. I decided, oh, yeah, I can do this. And thereby just, it's difficult. It's really difficult. Yeah. It's so difficult. You know, I remember the first couple of armchairs that I took on with a friend from London Med. I think we took three months to do them. And they were only yeah. a recover. Yeah, but you're probably only doing it one day a week, aren't you? So. No, no, I was... <laughs> You were there full time. Full time. <laughs> no, I was London Met one day a week. Yeah. But then I was taking on client work the other oh, time, okay. but taking an unbelievably long time to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's part of the part of the course, really, isn't it? I mean, that's the way it goes. So. Yeah. So I went from London Met. I worked for about for different people for and myself for another sort of four years or so, and then I've been and done an um, advanced diploma with Gareth and Greg at the British School yeah. of Upholstered Furniture. Oh, cool. So that, that's a really sort of interesting sort of next step, I think, that they did. Yeah. yeah. So going back to your first job, when you were working as a lawyer, was that a passion? Did you really get something from that? Or, or, or... I absolutely adored it. Yeah. I really did. I know it's bizarre to say, but I've got a lot of lawyer friends who are also really creative. And I don't know where the link is there. But yeah, I was working for a fabulous company in a really exciting industry. 
and through a real growth period in that industry because it was the complete launch of pay television you know like the and yeah. we traveled all over the world setting up links with pay television stations it was it was exciting but it totally did not go with kids so it was purely the the kids oh it was a bit samey by the time I left yeah yeah. it was a bit samey in a way actually ironically the upholstery is never samey I never get a chair that doesn't challenge me yeah yeah completely intellectually challenge me yeah I get that I think that whole Part of it is, is what's so lovely about the job because it is a moment, isn't it, when, when you're working on a chair and you're really sort of involved with it. It's a problem. It's a problem that needs to be solved. And I think I'm beginning to, early doors, I thought that there was an answer for everything and someone just hadn't written the book yet. And now I'm beginning to realise, no, you've just got a lot of tools and you've got to figure out a lot of problems. So the, the actual step to get into to upholstery was purely because you wanted to decorate your house yeah (laughs) yeah yeah interesting sort of that was the starting point I love design I love art I love making things I love making beautiful beautiful things and for me upholstery is just the sculpting of a piece of art and the fact that its form is a chair it could be a painting on the wall to me it's as valuable as a painting on the wall and I just don't understand that the rest of the world doesn't see that. Yeah, yeah. Well, working on it slowly. They will. <laughs> so, I, I mean, following on from that, it's a kind of, I think you've already answered it anyway, but you've always been a creative. You've always wanted to do that side of things. I was thinking about that. So this is so bizarre. I grew up near Liverpool. And when I was 14, I took a train to London. As you do, I can't imagine that. my 14 year old doing that but took a train to London went to paper chase bought lots of their gorgeous paper which wasn't available at all in Liverpool and upholstered boxes you know card boxes that people put paper in and files and then I held a stall at a craft shop and sold them all unbelievably because it it sounds so bizarre now made a profit wow that's really good I think it was there young that's amazing (laughs) It's insane. Yeah, no, that's really cool. So this is probably not a very relevant question for you, but your previous job, your previous life, has it had sort of a any crossover skills that you've been able to use? Have you identified something that... Yeah, crossover problems, I think, more like. I think I had so much sort of confidence from having a job like that that I went into this with almost too much confidence. And I think it would have been easier if early doors, I'd managed to get a job working for somebody. I would have learned so much more. And I did. I worked in the local upholsterer for about six months, a couple of days a week. And it was, I mean, I learned so much, but it was completely eye-opening. You know, the only way that he financially could keep his business going was to turn a sofa a day, you know, a recover of a sofa a day. And, yeah, that's a physically exhausting (laughs) prospect. But it's good that he understood that. So that's quite an interesting point that you've come on to there, is that you managed to get yourself into an upholstery place. Was this all during your training? No, I should have done. I should have done it during during my training. And that's what, if anyone else was doing a one day a week course, I'd say the best thing, even if you work for nothing, is to get a day or, or, or a couple of days. Because 
I just learned by my mistakes. I took jobs on right the way from day one of London Met course eight years ago. I took jobs on, but I just took an awful long time to do them. So when, sorry, I, I, I don't know if I've not followed the thread, forgive me, but when were you working for the upholsterer? Oh, that was about, that was when I left London Met. Right, okay. So I don't know, about three, four years ago. Okay. Four, five years ago. <laughs> so what were you doing when you were working for him? Because I was doing his traditional work. So that's where I really love it. I love the archaeology of it, you know, stripping yeah. down a traditional chair and peeling back the layers. I had the most amazingly exciting experience there, which was that I was stripping back this chair and I thought, oh, the pattern on this wood's gorgeous. I think this is really nice, this chair. I mean, it's not at all in fashion now. It was a you know, a stuffed back and a covered back and seat. And I took back the layer and there was a layer of embroidery underneath. And then I lifted that up and there was a parcel on top of the, I'm not joking, there's a parcel. It was on top of the, uh, of the hair seat and it was folded up and stitched together. So I unstitched the folds and inside were some ladies' stockings. And it's, it's mad. And an apron. And they were really old. That's bizarre. It was completely, it was like, I'd, I don't know, it's like somebody had hidden their mother's memory. And they, these stockings were darned like you've never seen four sets of colouring of darning on them. Oh. So I took them to the V&A. Did you? Yeah, because this was archaeology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I took them to the V&A. It was so exciting. And they got, they got one expert and then another. And then it turns out the chair was made by H. Wood and it was made who was a maker for the Queen back in um, Victorian times. So it was a really good chair. But they said there wasn't a five-year-old girl back in that time who would have stitched that badly. They couldn't figure who darned these stockings. So they were all puzzling. We never got to the bottom of it, but it was very lovely. Yeah, that's, that's such a great story. So moving on, you've already touched on this, but I'd like to revisit it. Where have you learned? been learning your skills so you started at J.A. Milton. J.A. Milton then three years at London Met yeah and then, then six months with a local upholsterer then about eight months working for a very high-end headboard maker. Okay. Yeah and I got magazine covers and that was exciting mm, so but really specialist you know just sort of one really beautiful shape of headboard in super expensive fabrics was that traditional or modern? No, it was it was modern, but it was all natural materials. Okay, yeah. So yeah. it was modern with ethics. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's, um... And then I've spent the last twenty months with Gareth and Greg at and, in and Henley. How are you finding that? I think they are beyond wonderful. I've yeah, let's, just... not, let's not let's not not big them up too much. They don't. Let's not big. <laughs> I've learned so much and I've created, the, I mean, the, the whole course is about using traditional techniques to design a new piece of furniture. It was insane. You know, we started, I never thought I could do this. They started saying, just walk along the streets, walk in the museums and look at shapes you like. Not chairs, just shapes, whether it's vases or gates or, or arch architecture. And it was astonishing. You have shapes that you like. Some people like triangles. Some people like oval. Yeah, it's, it's really surreal. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, anyway, I, I built a steel hanging chair. 
Did you? (laughs) Wicked mad. Yeah. Insane. Yeah, and it got delivered last week, so (laughs) it's now finished. That's really good. You have to share some pictures. I know. Well, we got some nice photos taken last week, so I think they're going to go on Instagram next week. So let's hope you get to see nice photos. What surprised you most about upholstery? What, what, what's been the thing? That- uh, how difficult it is. Yeah. I never thought, I've been doing it now eight years. I never thought that, I don't remember finding law difficult. <laughs> 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 I really don't. That's ironic, isn't it? <laughs> I know. Yeah. And yet really rewarding. It's a really amazing as I say, if I give a chair back to a client and they don't cry, I get a little bit hurt. <laughs> because I put my heart and soul into creating something really beautiful. All the decisions like what fabric and avoiding the pipe and the, the shaping and, and especially where you get a piece. I've just done a bobbin chair and it had been absolutely ruined over the years. Yeah. It was highly sprung should never have been puffed up high disgusting shape and I've built a squab for it taken it right down had the frame restored oh it's beautiful that's creating something lasting and yeah yeah it's one of the things with upholstery that is well it can actually be quite interesting is when you get that point of a chair where it's been absolutely massacred by very I mean I had a, a Georgian wing chair Oh, it must have been five years ago now. But it had the top scroll arm and they cut it off. They cut it off and lined it with plywood. And (laughs) it was full of foam. It was a sprung seat and it was just nothing that you could do. I mean, I took it back as best as I could, but it just didn't have the right shape anymore. And it was was really sad. But it was also what the, the people knew, that that's how they knew the chair. So they weren't expecting it to look differently but from my perspective it was it was a really sad piece of furniture because some idiot had got hold of it and thought oh we'll do it that yeah I kind of feel that we've got a duty to this furniture well, you, really you, beautiful you, old pieces but there are also people out there who don't think like that you but know, I understand so my time with the local upholsterer I mean his margins were so small yeah I understand for him it's really difficult I think it's a really difficult piece business for people to make good money in and they work so hard and they're so talented and it's like if we were in Italy this would be a different situation I think it's more of a respected industry I just don't think there's enough kind of awareness amongst interior designers and the general public about the quality but to be fair that's our job isn't it that's yeah and I know so you're doing a good job here (laughs) yeah yeah I mean it, it is our responsibility to tell people what's involved because, mm. I mean, one chair looks very much like another chair if you haven't got the eye, if you don't yeah. know. So it's, yeah. it's a very hard thing to sell. You know, if we do it right, we'll get there. I'm, yeah. I'm always positive about these things. <laughs> <laughs> There's no other way. Well done. There? Yeah. So tell me, what are your aspirations? What are you hoping to, where are you hoping to go with this? Is it a job or is it a hobby? I, I mean, I can't imagine. No, you're... it's it's been a job. It's been a job for um, several years now. Yeah. And... I don't like working on my own. I find, no, I don't, not day after day after day, quite happy for a couple of days. So I've got ideas, but that's partly where I'd like to, I'd like to work alongside people. And I'd like to find a way of making a better business than 
I currently <laughs> have, <laughs> like to work on those skills, the irony being that I used to work in business and can't translate that to upholstery. And I love sourcing chairs. So, yeah. so, so the last few projects I've worked on, I've, I've sourced the chair and the fabric. And I think I might quite like to go down that route. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. I'm quite interested in that whole thing that you don't to work on your own because mm. I, I think, and I, I don't mean this at all derogatory, and I hope it doesn't come across that way, but I think there are an awful lot of upholsterers that do just want to work on their own. They don't want to be working. But that's our character. You know, that's every individual person's character, isn't it? And you've kind of got to know yourself. Because what I set up in 2004 on my own, and I hated working on my own. It was horrible. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not the best company on my own. And sort of like now I employ... Well, it doesn't matter. It's not about me. But, you know, I've got people that work for me and it's just a nice environment to be in because you get that sort of like camaraderie and sort of yeah. and so on, you know, which is, is just so much part of being in a business, isn't it? I think. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. That, that, so ultimately, I'm assuming that you would like to have a company with people working for you. Or with. I don't need the four. <laughs> with is fine that's the traditional route that's all <laughs> you tend to and you're creating employment come on yeah so that's my pipe dream <laughs> yeah so we always ask the question what advice would you give to a student coming up that i don't know it's slightly different with you because you've got quite a lot more experience but turning the question around what advice would you want what help would you want outside of your schooling? Well, literally last week, things slightly changed on that front because what I've felt that I would really like is somewhere to ask if I really hit a, get stuck on something. And I just became a, a guild journeyman. And so, yeah, with the, and that's fantastic because there's a WhatsApp group of really talented upholsterers who you know have all got sort of similar-ish bit more experience and the questions floating around on that group are just so useful so I think that is a brilliant thing I suppose if it was asking so that's really answered what my my missing lego piece was and I suppose if if somebody else was sort of in their year two now or of the AMUSF I'd just say try and get a job for somebody or go and work alongside someone if you can it's I, I mean I know I talk about this a lot but I think it is the biggest missing link in the, yeah. whole, in the process yeah and it, it is such a shame because you know working alongside someone you actually you you become quicker yeah you don't uh, if you're working for the right person you won't compromise your skills but you'll be quicker and on top of that you will actually have somebody sort of nurturing you and and bringing you on and wanting to help you which is Mm. it's for me that is the key element Mm. for people to move Move on yeah I agree I agree and even if you're working for a local upholsterer who is having to turn a sofa a day and even if they're not specialists in traditional work you can still learn by watching mistakes just as much as you can learn by watching brilliance totally yeah totally and and also you know you have to be careful that because I know we all have a passion for traditional upholstery, but that's not to ignore the fact that there is a massive amount of skill in modern upholstery. Massive. You know, some of the skills presented in, in that area are 
Yeah. And it's really sustainable. You're making a sofa live for longer than seven years. And that's a great, amazing, worthwhile thing to do. Totally. Yeah. 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 So who inspires you? (laughs) The really good upholsterers on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) They do. As well, though, can't it? I, I think yeah, they can hold you back because you can think, oh, I want it to be as good as them. Well, forget it. Unless you play, you're not going to get that good. For, I mean, part of that question is really sort of about the mentorship that you, I think we all need, me included, everyone. You yeah. need somebody that you can bounce ideas and questions off of. And, and does that sort of, have you got that? I mean, you must have with sort of the people that you've well, worked with. Well, I do mostly, but I mean, probably mostly with Gareth Reese he's been brilliant and his knowledge and and passion for it is just infectious yeah yeah it is Mm. I agree with that completely and I can't believe we're getting to the end of this interview it's crazy (laughs) (laughs) so what part of the skill would you most like to master is there a niche part of it that you'd really like to just really put your stamp on you're right I do kind of think that I probably ought to specialise a bit more, you know, maybe in, in one type of... In the last two chairs I've done have been Czech 1950s. They've been fascinating, really interestingly sprung, unbelievably comfortable and really fashionable now. So I really like them. But, well, there are lots of bits of upholstery I'm still not good at. But I'll just take each chair as it comes, and yeah. But I mean, that's uh, to me, that's that's what the joy of the job is. That you, you know, there's always something that makes you scratch your head and think how, and that's mm. kind of. And I don't think you and I are particularly different. It's just the way it is, and it's it's part for me. It's part of the joy of the job is when you get a piece of furniture that is like, how do I do that? <laughs> yeah. Or I am having to concentrate stripping this down so much because I have no idea how to put it back together again. No, it's, it's interesting. I think that whole sort of element of the job is is probably the thing that makes it most exciting mm. in, in a way. So we are at the end. And before we go, just one, one last thing. Do you have your own business? Yes. So on Instagram, I'm at DelithFD. So that's a bit of bizarre spelling, D-E-L-Y-T-H. And the website is DelithUpholstery.com. Okay, and how long have you been sort of running the business? About six years. Okay, lovely, brilliant. And that's all, all basically based on traditional? Largely traditional, mostly. And how do you find your clients? Through Instagram. It's really? really yeah, it's Instagram and word of mouth, and that is astonishing, isn't it? Yeah, Social media, I'm no good at it, but it seems to work. Yeah, I'm rubbish at it, and... Uh, <laughs> I concur. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Lovely. Thank you. I'm a bit shocked. You, we've rattled through these questions in a way that I wasn't quite expecting. <laughs> I added in a few more questions for, for this because I thought there'd be more. I just, I, I don't Empty know. quiet gaps when I had nothing to say. Yeah. No, I talk way too much. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to hear it. So we, we've come to that part of the, the program uh, Desert Island Discs, music, book, and a film. Oh, God, I have to come up with one of each. Ideally, yes. Oh, no. The really funny thing about you saying Desert Island Discs is that in the effort to finish my utterly insane hanging chair, 
I've driven out to Henley pretty much every day for the past few weeks. And on the very long drive, I listened to Desert Island Disc. I'm back yeah. to about 1989 now. <laughs> it's a brilliant I, to, I love it. Oh, yeah. my. It's genius. I'll come up with a film that might well be Gone with the Wind. Because oh, brilliant. Yes. That was one of our best sellers at Warner. And part of me will always feel connected with Warner Brothers. And I loved that film. Oh, book Pride and Prejudice because it's so funny and so romantic. Yeah. And music. I haven't got I'm useless at music. <laughs> I don't have a clue. <laughs> not a clue. Not the birdie song. <laughs> oh, no, definitely not that. Please, no. Please, no. I don't know. I come from Liverpool, so a Beatles hate yeah, you. Okay. <laughs> That'll do. That's good. Okay, well, short and sweet. Thank you very much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure and speak to you very soon. Take care. Thank you so much for asking me. Bye-bye.